0: glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, get them out. Turn to the book of Philippians as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7 this morning, just two verses. If you need a Bible, Rod and Charlie are up here. They have Bibles in their hands. Just raise your hand and they'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 today. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says these words in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The time I study this morning is, if you know the Lord is keeping you, what are you going to worry about? It's an old song, came out years ago. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. This opportunity to be in this place, Lord, where we are in a place to hear from you. And we know, Lord, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts, to teach us, to instruct us, to comfort us, to direct us. And we pray, Lord, that we would have just open ears to receive all that you have for us this morning. We ask your blessing upon our time. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that has joined us, that does not have a relationship with you, they they don't have their sins forgiven, they're not born again, we pray, Father, that you touch their heart today and they would come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. So we ask that you bless our time, Lord. We give it to you. We, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story found of a uh, salesman... Driving down this lonely county road one dark and rainy night long before they had cell phones. And, and he had a flat tire. And he opened up his trunk and realized there was no lug wrench there. And he looked in the glove box and he looked under the hood. And no lug wrench anywhere. Man, he thought, I've got to get to this meeting in the morning or else it's over. So he started walking down this in this pouring rain. He sees this, this dimly lit farmhouse. And he thought for sure this farmer should have a lug wrench that he could borrow he thought, of course, it's late at night, the farmer would be asleep in his warm, dry bed. Maybe he wouldn't answer the door. Then he thought if he did answer, he'd probably be angry being awakened in the middle of the night. And, and the salesman, you know, he's picking his way, blinding the dark, you know, stumbled on. By now, his shoes and his clothes are soaking wet. But he continued to think, well, even if the farmer did answer my knock on his door, he'd probably shout something like, what's the big idea waking me up at this hour? Well, that made the salesman a little bit angry. What right did that farmer have to refuse to loan him a lug wrench? After all, he was stranded in the middle of nowhere, soaked to the skin. The farmer was a selfish dog, no doubt about that. While the salesman finally reached the house and banged loudly on the door, a light went on the inside and a window opened above. A voice called out, Who is it? And his face white with anger and and the salesman called out you know very well who it is it's me and you can keep your blasted lug wrench i wouldn't borrow it now if it was the last one on earth we get worried over the simplest things and in our own minds you know it builds and it builds and we respond angrily and hastily because why we're not trusting in the lord's provision And we start thinking about it, we start wrestling with it, wondering, how is this going to work out? How is that going to work out? How am I going to get this done? And pretty soon you're angry. You're angry at your wife, you're yelling at the kids, you can't see the Lord's provision, you know, even if it was attached to your eyeballs. That's a problem that many people face today. But that's why God has given us His Word and these two verses specifically this morning. We're just going to slowly unpack them thought by thought, let, let these truths sink deep within to calm our hearts and to calm our minds. A couple of preliminary words about these truths. Number one, they're not simplistic. You know, it's not like the old Bobby Farron song, you know, Don't Worry, Be Happy. It's not like that. It, 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 rather, it's very profound. Though so in one sense, it's simple because it's God's Word. It's, it's not complicated. Number two, it's needed. I've met many people who live in verse 6, but they never make it down to verse 7. And number three, this is radical. Because if you can make it from verse 6 to verse 7, it can radically change your outlook and change your life. So let me ask you this morning, how is the stress in your life today? Is there worry? Is there anxiety? Well, within these verses, we have the cure. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. Number one, the problem Number two, the prescription. Number three, the promise. Number one, the problem. Now, before we dive in, let's consider the context. In other words, you know, where was Paul when he wrote these words? Was he kicking back in some Mediterranean beach somewhere? Well, not exactly. He was incarcerated. He was under house arrest because he appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. And he's waiting for the time where he could have his moment with the leader of Rome. Now, he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know you know, he might be beheaded tomorrow. He didn't know what his future was going to be like. And then to make matters even worse, some of the believers were against Paul and, and, and were criticizing Paul. He had some that were on his side, but Paul was in this difficult situation. Again, he's trapped in this prison cell under house arrest. He doesn't know what his future is going to be. What does he say? Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. So if we think that Paul couldn't really understand the stress and the worries we face today, then I think we're sadly mistaken. Paul understood the realities of life and the things we all face from day to day quite well. In fact, that word that is used here for anxious in verse six means to be pulled in different directions. That's what happens when we worry, our you know, worry, our hopes pull us in one direction and our fears pull us the other. In fact, the word worry is an interesting word. The definition that comes from an old word that means to strangle or to choke. It doesn't Isn't that exactly what anxiety and worry does? It pulls you in different directions. It creates an emotional and mental stranglehold in your life. And it certainly doesn't make anything better. In fact, for all practical purposes, it makes things worse. You know, modern research, medical research has proven that worry actually breaks down your resistance to disease and actually causes disease in the nervous system, specifically in the the, uh, digestive organs and the heart. And it's revealed that 79 to 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are stress-related complaints. Charles Mayo, the, the founder of the Mayo Clinic, said he never knew anyone who died from overwork, but he knew many who died of worry. And he said this, you can worry yourself to death, but you'll never worry yourself to a longer life. Now, what is interesting is that what we worry about, according to an article from Time magazine, we actually worry about the wrong things. For instance, there are those people that have the fear of flying. But according to this article, there are more people that die from other things than flying. This article goes on to say that 600 Americans die each year from falling out of their beds. And then there's the fatal plunge down the stairs, or there's the, uh, the, the bite of sausage logged in your throat, or the, the, the tumble on the slippery sidewalk as you leave your house. So basically, if we don't fly, we don't eat, we, we don't sleep in a bed, we don't go downstairs or walk on the sidewalk, we're good to go, right? But we're a nation filled with anxiety, filled with worry, the economy, terrorism, the coming election. And, of course, there's the personal worries that we have. We're concerned about our health. We're concerned about our family. We're concerned about our future. In fact, there was a poll from another magazine done that was asked what they worried about the most. And out of 2,000 people polled, what do you think made the list of the things that people most worry about? The threat of nuclear war, maybe? The threat of losing their health? No, nope. Whether or not you're attractive made the list. So uh, So did being worried about your physique. But the number one fear that the people have in the world today is getting old in general. So, I may get sick and get nuked, but tell me, how do I look in this outfit? And do I look old to you? Does it make me look old? You know, Jesus had something to say when we were for things like that in Matthew 6.25. You can turn there if you want, but I'll put the verses up on the screen. Jesus said in Matthew 6.25, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So the Lord is telling each of us today, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, don't worry about what you wear, your clothes, and don't worry about life. But think about this. What are the most businesses that we have in Springfield, besides banks and churches? Places to eat and clothing stores. I mean, there's a restaurant on every corner and shops of every style of clothing. Or you can just shop at Forever 21 at the mall and that covers worry about your clothes, about getting old and what to eat. But you see, that's all our culture thinks about. That's what the world is preoccupied with. That's what we're so concerned about. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Does this make me look old? Maybe this morning you got up and and, and you you looked into your closet and said, I don't have anything to wear. Now the strange thing is you walked into your walk-in closet. Okay, it's a walking in cloth that's got poles on one side and the other filled with clothes. You go, I don't have anything to wear. No, you have plenty of things to wear, but, but you don't have anything new to wear, right? How about food? Are you thinking about food? Where are you going to have lunch today? Maybe you have the restaurant all picked out. You know, you want to go to after service because you like this kind of food. Man, I'm going to who hot? I mean, that's where I want to go because, man, I can pack a bowl, you know, 10 inches high, you know, with that stuff, and I'm a pro at it, and I can go back as often as I like, and and, and I can bring home what I don't eat. I mean, it's an American mindset. It's like, I, I got to make sure I, I get, 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 because I may I may never eat again. That's how we eat, and then we eat, you know, and after we eat, it's like an hour goes by, and it's like, oh, so what are we going to have for dinner, you know, especially if you eat it who hot, because it doesn't fill you up, but you I mean, our brains, it's like food all day long, clothing all the time, then it's life, you know, you're thinking about your life, you know, and because you ate so much, now you start worrying about your health. Okay, man, I, oh man, I, I'm worried about my health, I shouldn't eat so much. So then you crawl carefully into bed at night because now you know that over 600 people die a year from falling out of bed. Now you're laying in bed at night, and you're watching TV, and there's a program that comes on that talks about some new disease that's out there and new bacteria that they have, and, and they have this big list of symptoms, and they go through these symptoms, and you think, maybe I wonder if I've been infected. And it talks about a fever. First is a fever. You think, man, I, I think I feel a little bit warm. The second is a loss of memory. You go, oh, what was the first one again? I, 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 I forgot. Now you're laying in bed and going, I, I'm probably not going to make it through the night. I know I have this bacteria. And you're tossing, and you're turning, and you're tossing. And finally, your wife wakes up and says, what is going on? Well, I'm planning my funeral. What? You're not even sick. Well, I was just thinking, if I die, who are you going to marry? Listen, guys, if your wife ever says that to you, the safe answer is no one. Okay, I mean. But you're not thinking. You're you're worrying and worrying. And you're not sleeping. And tomorrow you're going to wake up, because you, you, and, and you're going to have to have that, that, that two cups of coffee just to get you going because you only got four hours of sleep. Well, then it starts all over again because now you have the caffeine anxiety. Listen, we need to ease up. We need to relax. But that's what Jesus goes on to say, sort of. Look at what he said in Matthew 6, verse 26. It's up on the screen. He says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather nor barns; yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. how uh, They grow. They neither toil nor spin. Worry isn't going to make you taller. Worry, I mean, he says, uh, look at the sparrow. Look at the bird. I mean, have you ever seen a bird sweat or be concerned? We used to have a bird feeder back in our old home in the backyard, and, and they would come and they would eat from it. We'd put the seed in there every now and then. But I've never seen one stash an extra food under its wing. You know, Man, I don't know if I'm going to get some more tomorrow. I, you know, I don't know. You know, it kind of, you know, sweat dripping from their beak. Are the lilies of the field, you know, do they toil over blooming, Jesus says. You don't hear him go, got to bloom, got to bloom, got to bloom. If I don't bloom, I don't know what I'm going to do. God, God says ease up. But Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6:30 30 and 31, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he, not much more, <laughs> will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. Gentiles, he's, he's referring to those that don't know God. People who don't know God, they're supposed to be filled with worry and filled with tension. But the people who do know God, those who know that He's perfect, the perfect provider, the perfect protector, that He's the God on high sitting on a stone in control, we should have nothing to worry about. I found one study that did uh, came up with these figures. It says that 40% of the things that people worry about never happen. 30% of the worries are related to past matters, which are now beyond the, the patient's control. 12% have to do with anxiety about health, even though there is no illness except in the imagination. 10% is worry about friends or neighbors. Even in most cases, there is no reason for their anxiety. Just 8% of the worries seem to have some basis in reality. That means all the other percentages of things we worry about never happen. I read a, a story, a fable that has been told over the years that, that deals with the problem of worry. It's a story of a man who came face to face with the dangers of worry. One day he saw death walking into his town. So the man approached death and said, what are you here to do? Death replied, I've come to take a hundred people. So the man ran ahead of death and warned everybody about what was coming. And then when the day had come to an end, a thousand people had died. And the man said to death, I thought you were only going to take a hundred. And a thousand people died. Death said, I only took a hundred people. The other 900 were taken by worry. That's how it works. In fact, you could put it on the tombstones of many Americans today, hurried, worried, and buried. That's just the way it is. And listen, we're the only nation in the world that has a mountain called Mount Rushmore. You know, I mean, it's there. So you say, okay, Pastor Tom, I know I'm not supposed to worry. I get that. Now, it's one thing to know why you shouldn't worry. Another thing to know how not to worry. And that brings us to point number two, uh, the prescription. Look again at verse 6 now. Paul says this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing means to uh, also means to don't be distracted don't be divided you've heard the phrase, "I want your undivided attention that 's what the Lord is saying to us this morning. I want your undivided attention instead of worrying. You need to focus, focus on four things you need to be doing. Prayer, supplications, thanksgiving, and request. And the first thing we read as far as prescription goes, Paul says, instead of being anxious or worried, pray. The next time you're tempted to worry about a situation, pray. Let me repeat that. The next time you're tempted to worry, pray. Let me repeat that again. The next time you're tempted to worry, pray. In everything by prayer, Paul says. Listen, we need to get into the habit of turning to God whenever we feel worry approaching uh, so that our reaction in times of trouble will be like a, a conditioned reflex. You know, a, a normal reflex is different than a conditioned reflex. A normal reflex comes naturally. For instance, if you touch a hot iron, you're going to pull your hand away quickly because it's hot. A child will, will do that too. They, 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 they'll learn that. You know, They don't know it at first, but they realize it. It's like the guy who went to a doctor with two severely burnt ears. The doctor said, what happened to you? He says, I was ironing and I got preoccupied because the phone rang and I answered the iron instead of the phone. Doctor says, well, that explains your right ear. What happened to your left ear? Well, they called back. So, so the normal reflex comes naturally. You touch something hot, you pull back. But a conditioned reflex is something you learn. You teach yourself to do it. For instance, through repetition, you find yourself doing it naturally. Like, you know, when you go to a sporting event and the Star Spangled Banner plays. I mean, immediately you stand up, you know, you know, we stand up. We, we've been taught that out of respect for our country. It's a symbol of the flag. We stand during the singing of the National Anthem, and, and, and you know, we wonder if that person's going to actually hit that high note when they sing it, you know. Or when we offer the pledge to the flag, you know, we put our hand over our hearts. It's something we've been taught to do. It's a conditioned reflex. So let's apply the same principles to fear and worry. Our tendency, natural tendency, when we come across trouble, is not to pray. It's to worry. Something happens. Oh, no. And we go through the scenarios like I was talking about that just started stacking up like dominoes in our minds. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I get disease? What if I die? What if? But here's what we need to teach ourselves. Natural reflex in trouble is to worry. Conditioned reflex is to pray. That's not something we naturally do. So when bad news comes, what do you do? You stop, you gather the family together and say, hey, let's pray. That's what you do. Let's stop right now. Let's pray right at this moment. That's what we're being taught here in God's Word this morning. Yeah, oftentimes when we face adversity, our first free instinct is to turn to people for help. And God can and God does work through people. And He can provide for us through family and friends and help us, no question. But ultimately, we need to turn to God first when trouble comes. Pray first. Let me say this. Prayer does not always change the situation and make it better, but prayer always changes us and makes us better. In fact, notice that word for prayer in verse 6 can also be translated adoration, devotion, intercession, basically describing worship. Prayer is a, a part of worship and that's how we begin. That's why Paul says prayer and then supplication. Supplication is the petition part. So instead of of worrying, let's worship. Why? Because something happens when you worship. When you worship, suddenly you realize that the God is magnified and lifted up and you begin to contemplate the greatness of God and the power of God and the almightiness of God and the worries get smaller and smaller. I mean, think about your prayers. We pray, Lord, would you provide for this and provide for that? And there's nothing wrong with, with asking for God's provision, but why not start with worship? Let me say this, there's nothing wrong with quick prayers either. I mean, getting to the point quickly, especially if, like the earlier point I made, you're tripping down the stairs or falling out of your bed or choking on a piece of sausage. Skip the formalities, let's just pray. But the idea is is to contemplate the greatness of God, to worship Him. Because it puts your problems in perspective. If I see God in all of His glory, and I'm going to see my problems in the proper perspective... One pastor puts it this way, big problems, small God, big God, small problems. It's not that your problems aren't serious, it's just that your God is greater. And if I look at them that way, then it's going to change the way I pray. So if I pray, oh Lord, you're you're so mighty, I just want to praise you for your power, your love, your greatness. Lord, I thank you that you're in control of every situation, that you've not forgotten me, you've not abandoned me. And Lord, I bring this need to you. Kind of give you a little bit of sound theology before you even really get into your petitions. Oswald Chambers, in his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, asked the question, Are you obsessed by something? He says, We are to be obsessed only by the presence of God. If I'm I'm obsessed, obsessed by something, I will be thinking of it all the time throughout the day. And into the night, I'll even dream about it. Now, if we're so conscious of God's presence all the time, nothing else can get into my life, not worries, not concerns. In other words, as I spend time with the Lord, He's gotten very, very big, and as I worship, I know He's an awesome God, He's all-powerful, and that is, He's able to do anything that He wants and everything, you know, if He so desires. And so, as I worship Him, I then bring my supplication because He does say, make your requests be made known to Him. We're to bring our requests to Him. Now, it doesn't say, let your demands be made known to Him. You know, there's many people in churches today that, God, according to your word, you have to do this right now. Really? <laughs> I mean, this is God who we're talking about. I mean, you know, how does that play out with your own kids when they demand something that they, they have? Mom, Dad, you've got to do this right now. Yeah, I don't think so. It's a servant-master relationship we have. You're the servant. We're not the master. You know, it's, it's not God you have to because your word says do it. Be careful because it's a request. listen, God may say yes, he may say no, but let me ask you this, do you give everything to your kids that they ask for? Yes, I do. Well, then you're an idiot, okay? No. (laughs) No, children, they don't know what's up. They need a parent to be a parent. By the way, you know, your kids don't need dad to be their best friend and they don't need mom to be their girlfriend. They need mom to be mom and dad to be dad and then they have that parental authority in the home. But love them enough to warn them and to model for them what it means to follow Christ. But here's the thing. Your kids, you know this if you've had kids, they'll ask for crazy stuff. If they had their way, they, they, would, their way, they would eat candy for breakfast. They'd play video games all day long, stay up all night drinking soda while they're texting and posting Snapchats at the same time. So you say, no, okay, honey. Listen, okay, I, I'm not going to let you do that right now. I'm going to put a limit on the time that you have in those video games, and and you, you can't eat those things, and and you need more balance. Oh, you don't love me? That's right, I don't. No, <laughs> actually, I do love you, and that's why I'm saying these things. And in the same way, when we go to our heavenly Father, and we're, oh Lord, I I just want to do this, I just want this in my life, and God says, no, I'm not going to give that to you. Oh God, you're so unfair. <laughs> Do you ever think that God has something better in store for you? Listen, God's Word tells us in Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. More than we can ask or think. Man, that's why we should never be afraid to commit an unknown future to a known God. That That way we should never be afraid to say, Not my will, but yours be done. And that's why we come to the Lord, as Paul says here, with thanksgiving. Because he does know what's best for us. You see, God says, you worship me, offer up your petition with a thankful heart. With thanksgiving represents a a, a humble heart of a person asking the request. It demonstrates the the submissive heart because in all prayer we ought to be thankful. And certainly Paul set the example here. I mean, his heart was always thankful and rejoicing in praise." He taught the Ephesians church that the result of a spirit for life is a thankful heart. Ephesians 5.18 and 20 says, Be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more prescription for worry before we move on to our final point. I think for many of us, when it comes to sharing our faith, we know the Lord has called us to do that. We know, you know, we're to evangelize. We we know we're supposed to do that, but that brings with it a whole other set of worries. You know, it seems like we could talk to anybody about anything, or coworkers, or friends, and families, but when it comes to talking to someone about Christ, you know, suddenly it feels like our tongue gets twice the size that it normally is, and we, you know. Maybe you've decided to share your faith with someone. It's okay, Lord, I'm going to do this now. Uh, you know, I, I've been talking to this co-worker. I, they need to know Christ. I'm going to share. I know because I've done this before. And you're standing there in your mind. You're going, okay, I'm going to start off with, do you know Jesus? Okay, that sounds a little corny. All right, I'll say, uh, have you ever been washed in the blood of the Lamb? No, that would have them out. No, I can't say that. I'll say, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? That sounds too religious. Here's the point. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about stuff like that. In fact, jot down Matthew ten eighteen in your notes and look up at the screen because that's where we're told that you're not supposed to be worried about that. Matthew ten eighteen, Jesus warns his disciples, you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak for it is not you who speaks but the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. I love that. It's the Father who speaks in you. Do you see that? God is in you. And not only has God provided a way for you not to worry, but now He provides you with the words to say when you're questioned for your faith. That's what Jesus is saying there in John 10. Don't worry. My spirit is inside of you, and I'll show you what you need to say. I'm outside of you as well, providing what you need to do and all that I've called you to do. So don't worry about it. It's under control. Final point. Number one, the problem we worry. Number two, the prescription. Pray, worship, praise, thank Him. Make prayer second nature to you, a conditioned response. And then as a result, number three, the promise. Look at verse three. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul is saying there is a peace that God promises that most people could never even begin to understand. But you, as a believer, you can know it, you can experience it. And it's that peace that comes from God in situations where it's unexplainable that you can even have peace in it. Perhaps there's a a tragedy in the family or an illness or a struggle in the home and it's a, a conditioned response. You pray, you worship the Lord, you thank Him for all His blessings, you made your request, and suddenly you just have this peace that overflows your life. And you know everything's going to be okay because God is in control. That's the promise of peace that keeps you and I from giving into to worry. It guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, Paul says. That word for guard there is the word garrison, which means it's a defense force. Paul was promising that when we pray and think and do as God has instructed us, then peace becomes our defense force stationed at the door of our hearts and minds. It's the peace guard. Keeping anxiety and and, and, and providing for us, a Christian, the deciding edge when it comes to dealing with the pressures of the day. See, we will not only just have the, the peace of God, but even better, we shall be protected by the God of peace. Again, it's a peace that goes beyond understanding of the average person. It passes understanding. It means it's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that Jesus promised his followers when he said in John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen, there's one thing for sure that we know. There's not a whole lot of peace in the world today. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, we have the only real peace that matters, and that's the peace that Christ brought and bought with his own body. And we who have placed our faith and trust in Christ are now at peace with God. See, nothing can rob you uh, of your peace because it does not come from our circumstances. doesn't come from the people around us uh, you know, or this world. It comes from God Himself. We have this peace because of the assurance that God has our lives under control and He's continually working to accomplish His purposes in our life. You know, I, I read an interesting thing in the North Atlantic. I'm told that icebergs are often seen in the wintertime. And ships sailing in the Atlantic are often caught in these violent storms with these, these mighty vessels being tossed around like these blow-up rafts, you know, in these huge waves. But how different it is for the iceberg. Like, like majestic white castles, they glide peacefully, peacefully through the storms. They're defiant of the mighty waves, which are hurling against them. Why? Because only one-ninth of an, of an iceberg is above the waters. The lower part is, in, is deep in the ocean where there's just calm. My point is, whenever our lives are hidden with Christ, the storms of this life are powerless to take from us the peace that we have in God. Psalm 91, 1 tells us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under under the shadow of the Almighty. I want to close with this story. Years ago, in the early days of aviation, a pilot was making a flight around the world. After two hours of his uh, last, uh, after he was, Two hours out of his last landing field, he heard a noise in the plane, which he recognized as a gnawing of a rat. He realized that while the plane had been on the ground, a rat hadn't gotten in it. For all he knew, the rat could be gnawing through a vital cable of the plane. It was a very serious situation. He was both concerned. He was anxious. At first, he didn't know what to do. It was about two hours back to the landing field from which he had taken off from and two hours ahead to where he was going. Then he remembered that a rat is a rodent. It's not made for heights. It's made to live on the ground. Therefore, the pilot began to climb. He went up a 1,000 feet, then another 1,000 feet, until another, uh, until he was more than 20,000 feet up. The gnawing had ceased. The rat was dead. He could not survive in the atmosphere of those heights. More than two hours later, the pilot brought the plane safely to the next landing field and found the dead rat. The moral is, worry is a rodent. It cannot live in the secret place of the Most High. It cannot breathe in the atmosphere made vital through prayer and familiarity with the Scripture. Worry dies when we ascend to the Lord in prayer, when we ascend to the Lord in His Word. That's why we're told in Isaiah 26, 3 of the Lord, You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. There may be greater sins than worry, but there's certainly no greater disabling sin. And there are many things in this world that's going to want to steal our peace and create anxiety in us. But if we don't have that peace, it's because we've allowed circumstances to draw us away from God and the peace that he offers. And we ourselves have focused on the wrong things and not on God. And as a result, we've distanced ourselves from God. God's not moved away. We have. It's time for us to draw near to God. Warren Wearsby writes this, The world's view of peace is based on resources, while God's view is based on a relationship. To be right with God is to enjoy the peace of God. In the world, peace is something you hope for or work for, but to the Christian, it is God's wonderful gift. Ninety-five times peace is spoken of in the New Testament. I think God wants to make it clear that we're to live in peace, we're to have His peace. Peace, shalom, it means wholeness, completeness, health, security, even prosperity in the best sense. Jesus put it this way in John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Let me say this. Christ offers that same peace to you this morning. Do you have it? Do you have that peace? Or did you enter into the church this morning with this with this with uh, these burdens that are just too heavy for one to carry? Do you expect to leave here today with those burdens still on your shoulders? Are you going to turn them over to Jesus? Remember, Christ died on the cross for you. He shed His blood to remove that worry, to remove those doubts. He ascended to heaven to ensure that you'll have His peace. Will you let Him take your burdens this morning and your worries in exchange give you His peace? We're told this in 1 Peter 5-7 Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. I'm told in Psalm 37-5, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it To pass. My favorite verse in the Bible, and it came to pass. And these things will pass, you see. Just give your cares over to God because nothing is too hard for God. That's what God expects. Remember the whole context of Philippians is that these words are written to believers. They're they're written to people who put their faith and trust in Christ. It's the Christian that can have this trust in God in adverse circumstances. Let me say this as we close. The non believer doesn't have that hope. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 57, 20 and 21, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up myrrh and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. You'll not have peace in your life if you're separated from God. That's why people turn to drugs. That's why they turn to to alcohol. That's why, why people turn to a myriad of other distractions, so they don't have to deal with the real problem. God is saying, I want to give you this peace, that passes all understanding. But you must come to me. You must know who I am. You must come to me and find the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus said in John six thirty seven, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. If you've not given your life to Jesus Christ this morning, you don't have that peace in your life. I know you don't, if you haven't. Come to Him this morning. Gain that peace. Gain that forgiveness of sin. God will do an amazing work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord God. I thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, first and foremost, if there's anyone here that does not have a relationship with you, Lord. They don't have the peace because they don't know your grace, Lord. They've not experienced your grace. Lord, I pray that they would make that commitment this morning to you. To put their faith and trust in you. While their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want that peace in your life. You want your sin forgiven. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just you making that commitment to Jesus Christ and Him coming in your life forgiving you and giving you that peace. Just raise your hand so I could pray for you. Father, we thank you for the promise of peace that you give to us as believers. And I pray, Lord, if as believers we've gotten our rise off of you, And we've gotten them on to the the things that, that, that do worry us, that makes us anxious. Lord, help us to get refocused this morning. Lord, help us to cast all our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. We thank you for the peace that you give us that passes understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.